2: Thanks for having me on the show.
0: My God, what an exceptional person. Born in Australia and currently living in Scotland, Dion began running in 2013, competing in some of the world's toughest marathons across the planet's most inhospitable landscapes. He has achieved top 10 finishes in numerous ultra marathons and he's run twice. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, you've run twice in the toughest foot race on earth, which was 250 kilometres across the brutal Moroccan Sahara Desert. And twice across or three times
2: across. Three times, yeah. Three times
0: across (laughs) South Africa's uh, Kalahari Desert. And that's, again, almost 250 kilometres. Wow. Okay, in June 2016, while running across the... Gobi Desert in China, Dion's marathon turned into a completely different race when he fell in love with a stray dog who followed him during the week of the race and changed both of their lives forever. A year later, Dion published uh, Lara, the Runaway Cat, a delightful fictionalised tale of Gobi's mischievous um, cat sister, Lara. Wow. Okay, so I'm going to have to make a confession here. I completely don't like cats. Um, I don't know, they just, they're, they're, I, I'm a huge dog lover. Uh, okay.
2: I understand that as well. You understand yeah, that. I can see that.
0: So what I want to do is, because I actually think you might be completely crazy.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
0: so can you tell me why you do this? You run for 200, do you run straight for that long?
2: Well, I've actually just finished a race in Western Australia where yeah. it was 350 kilometres non-stop. And I finished the race in 61 hours and 24 minutes without So you any run sleep. 24-7? Yeah, non-stop. And it's kind of like, do you remember Cliff Young? Yes. The original ultramarathon I do runner? actually, yeah. yeah, yeah. I sort of do a little bit of his shuffle and use his technique of catching up to people when they're sleeping and passing them and going on to hopefully win. So
0: you don't have to stop You know, you can keep running or people do stop.
2: Uh, You don't have to stop, but some of the races I do, in particular one in the uh, Gobi Desert and uh, the one in Morocco, those races are stage races. So they make you stop and you sleep every night.
0: Oh right. What's a stage race?
2: So a stage race is a six-stage, seven-day race across the desert carrying all of your food and kit to survive the week as well. So oh, wow. everything you need, you have to carry on your back.
0: Okay. Um, so tell me, where did this all come from? Where did you grow up? Um, why is it that you were drawn to marathons? Have you always been a runner?
2: I was born in Sydney, grew yeah. up in Queensland. Um, yeah. From a very early age, I was very competitive with hockey hmm. and cricket and golf. Right. So always a very good sportsman. But into my sort of mid-20s, uh, I started to drink and eat and smoke and put on a load of weight. Mm-hmm. And it was during these times and into my 30s that I realised that I had to start losing some of this weight. So running was that form for me to begin that process.
0: Mm -hmm. And was it something you took to straight away? Because, you know, I'm not a runner myself, but I often see people in the park when I'm walking the dog and some people jog past me and they look like they're not even breaking air. They're just so smooth and they seem to have a natural talent. And then the next person might run by and it's just like, oh, my God, that looks painful.
2: Well, in 2012, actually drunk one evening, I had a bed with a friend of mine that I could beat him in a half marathon race. And that was the first time that I started to think about running. So obviously the next day when I woke up hungover, I had to start to train and to start to get ready for this race. So for me, I was the same. I had to start one block, two blocks, three blocks to try and get fit. And from there, it pushed me to want to get fitter but also do all the training necessary to finish a half marathon race how,
0: how many kilometers is a half marathon uh, race?
2: so that's uh, uh 21 kilometers
0: um well that's nothing so <laughs> nothing. you can probably just do <laughs> but, that but when, in a minute
2: when when i at that point i was like 125 kilos as well so right. kind of severely overweight um smoking a pack a day right you know wow. that, that's quite a lot to try and Lose yeah. the weight and get fit. Yeah.
0: yeah, yeah, that is. And I guess with all that jogging, you must have lost that weight very quickly.
2: Yeah, and it was that uh, competitive spirit that came back in me as well and I beat my friend in the race and I wanted to then see what a marathon was, which is 42 kilometres in distance. And right. That was and the next goal.
0: Going. Yeah. yeah, wow. So when you're running um, through the night and so you're staying awake, How many days was that? Five days, six days?
2: Uh, So the race I just did, the 350 kilometres, was just over two days, two and and a half days. Oh,
0: two and a half days. Um, Is that all? (laughs) How do you stay away?
2: Uh, That's a good question. During the first night, it's it's quite fine. But going into the second evening, it's very difficult. And it can be very drowsy. You start seeing hallucinations. Uh, It's really then you need to start drinking plenty of caffeine to...
0: Keep you awake. Keep
2: you awake. And then while when,
0: you're jogging.
2: Yeah, while you're still moving some some degree, yeah. Yeah,
0: wow. Um, is it good for
2: you? I uh, probably could tell you that when I'm about 60 and my knees have given away. But yeah. at the moment it feels pretty good for me. I feel fit and healthy and I think it's a great mental sort of cleanser for me as well as other reasons why I do running and I think um, it, ultra running is a community of people that are uh, – Uh, are out there trying to challenge themselves in different ways of life so I get a lot out of finishing a race as well
0: yeah it must be real high um so what happened when you found the dog did the dog goby so tell me about that story how that all started and how it is that you came to tell that story
2: so in 2016, I was running a six stage, seven day, 250 kilometer race across the Gobi Desert when a little stray dog joined me on day two of the race.
0: So that's in China?
2: That's in China, yeah. Yeah. Um, and
0: so it must have been, you know, a manky dog,
2: probably. Yeah, well, she uh, she was very skinny and emaciated. She yeah. had uh, terrible skin. Mm. She clearly needed feeding and love and attention. And for some reason, she chose me for all of that. Ah. So on the start line of day two, she's at my feet and she's looking up into my eyes and she's chewing on my shoes mm. as if to say she wants some attention from me. But me as a runner, I'm there to try and win the race. I'm there trying to compete and I wasn't too interested in her.
0: And walking a
2: dog, yeah. Yeah, so <laughs> I had better things on yeah. my mind. Yeah. Um, but 40-odd kilometres later, uh, she finished with me side by side. and So
0: she continued right yeah.
2: throughout. Yeah, she ran 125 kilometres and four stages of the race, which was uh, phenomenal. She's and a was tiny she eating? Dog. Well, she was eating from what we were giving her as runners, which isn't the right. best food because you've got to carry it all. So you don't take anything heavy, it's all... And you wouldn't have a lot of spare, food. would you? No. No. Um, if you were at the race and you said, Dion, can I have some of your food? It'd be like, no way, you bring no. your own. Yeah. <laughs> but
0: if you're but a dog. You're a cute yeah. little
2: dog. Everyone and
0: had it. you liked dogs before? Had you liked animals? What's yeah. your relationship with animals been?
2: Yeah, so I had a, a St Bernard before that who'd passed away, but that would, that was probably uh, 10 years ago. Mm. And I was just starting to think about getting another dog when Gobi made the decision that this was this was going to be my new dog. So, so
0: this was going to be her.
2: Yeah. But before I could, um, well, during the race, I made Gobi a promise to bring her home to the UK. And, uh, you know, I saw that she needed someone to be there for and give her a better life. And I could see that she was going to be stranded otherwise. So I wanted to be that person to, to look after her.
0: Stranded. I mean, she probably would have died.
2: Yeah. Yeah. yeah, literally in the middle of nowhere out there. Yeah. Where she's come from, only What she kind knows. of
0: dog is she?
2: Uh, she's a Chihuahua Shih Tzu mix. Wow. So she's a tiny looking little thing.
0: Wow, that's resilient, isn't yeah. it? Because little dogs aren't usually that resilient.
2: Yeah, and to yeah. run that distance in that heat and those conditions was, was incredible. So I made her a promise I was going to give her a better life. But um, So
0: what happened after the race? So you... There's the dog. So what do you do? Take her home?
2: No. um, You know, my flights were ready to go the next day after the race had finished. So someone from the race said that they'd look after, go before me. And I flew home, tried to work out how we were going to get her home.
0: Did you for a minute think, well,
2: that's over and I'm not going to worry about it? No, no, No. not at all. No, no. No. She was always coming home with me. I'd made plans for her to be looked after while I was, you know, going back home. But Mm. it wasn't like. Taking a dog out of China to the UK is an easy thing to do. So I had to work out how Well we also,
0: do how many people would do that? Not many. <laughs> Not many. No. So it would have been unusual circumstances.
2: Yeah. Um, costly as well. Was it? And yeah. you know, all these things come into play. But before I could bring her home, she went missing in China. So I had so to So the follow.
0: people looking after her lost her.
2: That's one way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: She went walkabout. <laughs>
2: Um, so I had to fly back to China to, to find her and I set up a search and volunteer team scouring the streets to find her.
0: Wow. And where did you look for her? Where, where she was lost? Where Where she was lost, yeah. Right. Yeah. And how did you find her?
2: Um. And who found her? (coughs) All those details are in the book. Without giving the whole sort of story away, it's, uh, it started off with one person searching for me, but it went on to hundreds and hundreds of people searching day and night for me and looking for this little dog and we had good people helping us, bad people uh, holding, saying they were holding Gobi ransom. They wanted more of the money that we were offering as reward money, etc. The The story goes off into many different uh, directions um, before we actually um, find her. So, wow,
0: yeah. there you go. Yeah. Um, okay, so you took her back to London with you and how did that work out?
2: Well, she's living the dream now. She's, she's met royalty, she's met movie actors, she's met rock bands, she's travelled <laughs> around the world. She's and got,
0: how old do you think she is?
2: Uh, we think she's around four years old now.
0: Oh, wow, yeah, so she's, she's still a still puppy. Quite young. Yeah, yeah.
2: She's got three passports and uh, yeah, yeah. she's got a crazy life. So,
0: Do dogs get passports?
2: Yeah, yep. They three, do? Yeah, they, yeah. Well, especially in Europe you, you, ha- you need your pet passports to be able to travel around so it's, oh, it's wow. just like a human human passport yeah
0: oh my dog doesn't have a passport <laughs> um and so uh, are you able to take her to all the, to your races is that what you do
2: no she doesn't come to the races with me the conditions are too hot and it's yeah. not the greatest place for. and her. she's retired she's finished yeah she's, <laughs> she's retired. she doesn't need to do any more running
0: okay so what made you write about
4: have a catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well
2: it
0: what how did that that all come about
2: well the story had been covered by the press a few times and there was so much interest in the story from all around the world that publishers started to contact me to say right we think this is great do you want to write a book and
0: had uh, you thought of writing a book before no no
2: no No. no, simple answer yeah yeah I was blown away by the interest and Mm. you know from cnn abc espn and why
0: do you think there's interest in a human story like that
2: uh, it's heartwarming. It's inspiring. Mm. People are sick of negative, sad news, which are mm. covered within the news every day. So, Absolutely. Yeah. And plus, yeah. she's a cute puppy dog. So yeah. um, but she takes your heart away. And it's, it's a great story of being an underdog. Pun yeah.
0: Or pun. yeah. Yeah, definitely. Okay. So then we've got Lara. Tell me about Lara and how she came about.
2: So Lara is uh, my cat. She's an indoor cat. She's a ragdoll, And she's a lazy cat who's about 10 years old.
0: Right. So she was there well before Goby.
2: Yeah. So she yeah. was my baby. Yeah. And she still is. But of course, bringing Gobi, the stray dog, into our home, um, Laura was very upset and jealous about all of the attention that Goby was getting.
0: Mm. And also, you know, I mean, dogs and cats don't always have great relationships if they haven't grown up together.
2: Yeah. And that was always a bit of a worry for us that that was going to be the case because... Gobi is a stray dog. We don't, yeah. we we haven't tamed her or trained her in any aspect. And Lara's a lazy cat who lives indoors. So yeah. it's her space. <laughs> and who's been spoiled a, rotten. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So it's a it's a bit of a mismatch there. But. Um, y-
0: so what was the first meeting like? Tell me about that.
2: Well, the first meeting actually of uh, of them was quite unique because I had my wife Lucia hold Gobi and. I went next door and where Lara was until we got Gobi settled into the home for half an hour and I went next door and picked up Lara and walked back in with Lara and Gobi's in my wife Lucia's arms and she sees me with this cat and her eyes just like grew, it's like a chin dropped as if to say, what is that cat doing in your arms? (laughs) Yeah, 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 real
0: jealousy. Real
2: jealousy, yeah. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Um, Do you think um, animals have those feelings? I mean, I'm always torn. I've got a dog. I've got a little dog called John Brown and he's a little um, Maltese poodle Mm -hmm. cross and uh, I don't think that's been a successful breed that I've been breeding them since then because he can have a very bad temper. Um, But I often, people say to me, don't give them human traits, you know, Um, but you do see behaviours like that in them, don't you?
2: Yeah, I think we're all guilty of seeing what we want to see at times. But Do you think? Yeah, but they also have these eyes and these emotions that definitely are some connection.
0: I think, you know, I don't know whether it's called jealousy, but I had two and this, the second dog, John Brown, he couldn't bear it when I was holding the other dog. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's a human trait, isn't
2: it? Yeah. and I mean, they're very close to us, aren't they? So I'm sure that there is parts of it as well. Mm.
0: Okay. So tell me, and, and, you know, both my dogs um, hate cats. I mean, seriously go wild when they see a cat. Sometimes in the park I see people with a cat on a lead in a dog park. Yeah. Um, And sure, you know, cats are more than (laughs) entitled to come to the park. But I think it's a huge disservice to have them on a lead because they can't run away from the dogs. Sure. You know that really puts them in a very dangerous situation. I think, and I always think, oh, be very careful. But anyway, so tell me about that relationship. How how long did it take for them to become acquainted?
2: Uh, probably about another hour.
0: Oh, is that all?
2: <clears throat> and I thought you
0: were going to say days and weeks.
2: <laughs> no, it was surprisingly very easy and very quick. And Lara was actually more inquisitive of Gobi than Gobi was of of Lara. And to be fair, like we were more concerned about Gobi biting Lara. And uh yeah within Really we,
0: you weren't concerned about Lara scratching his eyes out or anything? No
2: because I think we thought that Lara would be able to look after herself. Right. in that aspect. Um, but yeah, it was how Gobi would react to everything and whether she would cause any real damage cuz Lara is quite a small soft cat. Yeah. But thankfully they connected and you know within an hour of them sniffing each other and starting to feel each other they were they were a little bit closer and they managed to um you know, sit next to each other on the couch for a little bit without any arguments.
0: And are they best friends now?
2: They, they literally are. They chase each other up and down the hallway like Tom and Jerry mm. and then the next minute they're having something to eat together and sleeping together on the couch. its right. It's kind of cool yeah. to see.
0: Yeah, it's very beautiful. Okay, so um, where did Lara come from? How- Tell me
2: her story. Okay, so the, the book sort of takes a different twist though and uh, we, we go down the route of, you know, Goby coming home and Lara being very jealous, being this indoor cat that's never travelled outside, never mm. had a journey. Seeing Because, you know,
0: a lot of people say about ragdoll cats that they're almost like dogs, don't they?
2: And, people and see and them I was going to, to mention that. that earlier actually. That, yeah. Um, one of the reasons we got Lara uh, as a ragdoll is the fact that I'm also a huge dog person more than a cat person. And this was the connection that we saw that we were, we, we needed lived in a small apartment in, in Manchester at the time. And yeah. this cat was perfect for us because it had dog traits. Right. And uh, you can <laughs> the see cat,
0: that. The cat you get when you want a dog.
2: Exactly, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But you've got no outdoor space and you yeah. haven't got the time to walk it. And, uh, yeah, I, I, and we can see that. We could see that before. I mean, Lara used to chase balls in, inside the living room. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, I've seen
2: that. So... You know, Lara has all of these things, but uh, she's never been outside. She wants to go and travel the world and experience yeah. life for herself to find herself, to have an adventure, to see what Gobi's already experienced and to see whether it's all cracked up to be. Right. So her journey takes her. Uh, she, she thinks she's flying to China, but she manages to get <laughs> herself lost and she ends up in Australia. Right. And the journey goes from there.
0: Yeah. It's a beautiful fictionalised per- uh, book,
2: unlike your first book, which was a memoir in a way, isn't it? Yeah, much easier to write a real story because you were there, you know all of the aspects of it and you know how you want it to be played out. But with the fiction book I've had to work with another co-author called Sophie Pembroke Yeah, to be able to go off into these different tangents and these directions to open the creativity up. Yeah, the... it's more complex, isn't it?
0: Um, so tell me why it is you don't live in Australia. Is it the access, you know, what is it that made you leave? Is it the access to marathons or is it just because? Uh,
2: that's a good question. Um, it's been over 20 years since I've lived in Australia. So, yeah, wow. Uh, it's just something that's happened and um, life's taken me in a different direction. It took me a different direction with employment. And I really just haven't sort of looked back or thought about yeah, the Australian aspect of things and still very happily Australian, etc. But, um, yeah, I guess when you set up, you know, your career in another country, you, you, you tend to stay in that country and that's mm. what's happened Mm-mm. in the UK for me. And
0: was it about the running?
2: No, that, that came much later in life, the running oh, okay. aspect of it. And, right. yeah, no, this was really just career and work. Right. Yeah. Uh,
0: I want to go back to the running and talk about that in terms of stamina and mindset. How do you prepare for something like that?
2: Uh, well, the the training's quite an easy aspect of it. I mean, I've got the time now. I I'm, I'm, I ride and I do the races. That's my that's my job. But So I have the time to train and I can train doing 100 kilometres a week. But it's the mental aspect. You don't really know until you get to the race how you're mm-hmm. going to perform. It's not really something you can train for. Uh, in preparation but having now done quite a lot of races I know what works for me and I use a lot of negative things that happened to me in my early childhood Uh, grew up in a violent uh, difficult uh, depressed childhood if you like
0: here in Sydney
2: here in uh here in in Ah, Queensland actually
0: yeah
2: so there's a lot of things there that I sort of filter through my mind when I'm running to try and prove to myself you know that I'm a good runner that I'm a good person that I can you know change people's perception of maybe who I was when I was younger so for me there's there's quite a bit of that that I talk about Mm -hmm. in the Finding Gobi book as well um, that I use to be able to push me through mentally in a race. Mm
0: -hmm. Is it because you're trying to prove something?
2: It has been it has been uh, it's less of that now because I've I've um, I've had the joy of finding Mm -hmm. Gobi and I've helped helped Gobi and uh, you know it's changed our lives forever and I think that's been a bit of a helping moment for me to be able to deal with some of the things in the past and that's one of the reasons why I connected with Gobi is I saw myself mm. in Gobi uh, being the stray young little dog and I was a you know, young boy. yeah. Yeah, yeah. I left home at the age of 13. I'd lived in everywhere from under bridges to caravans to hotels um, to hostels trying to put myself through school. Uh, so seeing Gobi in that same situation was really wanting to be the person that I needed when I was that age as well mm. and being that person for her.
0: Mm. Animals are such great healers, aren't they?
2: Yeah. They uh, are. And who would ever have thought when I was going to the Gobi Desert that this little dog would connect with me and how it would affect me and and change things to, to what mm. it is today.
3: Mm.
0: What's the main difference between cats and dogs? Because I don't know that because yeah. I don't have a cat. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Well, I think the the dogs, you know, they're loyal, energetic, happy to see you, and the, the cat, you have to do all the work to get all of their loyalty and happiness and and love. But at the end of the day, with with the two that we have, Lara and Gobi, they're both in our beds at night cuddling up to us and we know that they're both happy animals. Mm,
0: mm, and lucky animals. And lucky. <laughs> Thank you so much, Dion. Thank you so much for speaking with us today.
2: Thank you for having me on the show.
3: That's stamps.com. Code program.
0: If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.